welcome to today's episode of Souls Tell Stories. Today we'll hear from Evelyn Furwall about her experiences as a sapphic trans woman. To get started, I was thinking we could introduce ourselves. My name's Chloe. I use pronouns she, her. My name is Avery. I use pronouns she, her. My name's Ainsley. I use pronouns she, they. And my name is Corey and I use pronouns she, her. Very nice to meet you guys. I guess I guess it's my turn. Um, <laughs> my name is Evelyn. Uh, I use she/her pronouns. Um, I guess she/they. If you want to be, if you want to be adventurous about it. Okay, so we just wanted to get um, started by having you tell us about yourself. Just give us a little bit of a rundown about who you are. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, most of my friends call me E, so you can call me E if you'd like. Um, I am a 21-year-old college student. I go to the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York. Uh, I'm studying electrical and computer engineering. Um, So a whole lot of dirty stuff going on. Um, Yeah, I I really like the color orange. (laughs) It's one of my main personality traits. Uh, And I went to high school with Chloe here, so uh, (laughs) she might be familiar with some of my uh, uh, neuroses. Um, so I just wanted to um, ask, what are some challenges that you've had to overcome being a trans woman? Yeah, um, uh, it's individual. Every trans person that you talk to is going to have different things that they have struggled with. Uh, for me in particular, um, the main problems that I've found that come from being a trans person um, there's, there's two sort of sectors. There's the dysphoria sector, which is just like pure physical uncomfortability, um, deeply rooted innate in my head somewhere. There's just something that's like, this body ain't the right one. Uh, and it, it causes all kinds of weird problems um, that are not fully understood by medical people. It's, it's really complicated and it's kind of disheartening sometimes. Um, but obviously the other main area of, of discomfort for trans people is, and for me especially, is, is in social realms. So uh, like I grew up um, in a pretty small town where there was no trans representation, zip. Um, or at least the stuff that there was, um, I was in proximity to like my parents or um, other like sort of older, more traditional community members that would be like, ew, look at that person doing whatever gender nonconformist thing. Uh, And that was inappropriate. That was gross or uh, pedophilic or uh, unacceptable for whatever reason. So most of the, the my struggle, I, I, I blame myself for most problems that I end up having. So it's a lot of it is an internal struggle. I know people who are very extroverted, they're very external with their problems. And so uh, experience is very like you have problems with other people and it's largely about other people, how they treat you. But in my case, it's it's a lot of like figuring out what pronouns I want to use and then like wrestling internally to actually ask people to use them. Um, And um, yeah, like making space for yourself is something that is incredibly, people don't teach you how to do that. You have to teach yourself how to do that. So um, it's one of the main 
yeah, main, main problems that I've sort of had to, had to he face head on. What has your experience been since you've come out as a member of the LGBTQ community? Actually, it's, it's kind of nice. Um, my campus community, so the people around me, all my friends have been incredibly supportive. Um, it's been really nice. Um, honestly, most of the toxicity and like negativity that I've experienced has come from my family members. Um, so it depends on really who you're with and where you're at. I mean, I made some decisions about where I was going to go to college and like where I was going to live and, and have my life um, based on how cool they were with trans people. Like I happen to know that New York state, pretty North, pretty liberal, pretty chill. Like you didn't have to worry about that. So or just generally Southern schools have never been on my radar for uh, my current undergraduate that I'm doing right now, or for, I'm looking at grad school right now, it's just not an option. Like, um, it would be cool if I could go to what central Florida, but I am could not be less interested in being anywhere in these, these, these deep South states, um, especially with the legislation that's happening nowadays. Um, it's an avenue that is hotly debated and is hotly debated now and Southern states are losing, uh, trans people in Southern states are losing. So um, I don't know, I have to sort of make decisions about where I'm going to spend my time in order to make sure that the people I'm surrounded with are going to really appreciate me. And specifically my campus has been doing a pretty good job. Uh, people on my campus, like my professors and, and faculty and um, people who, who run the stuff behind the scenes usually want to help, but the systems that are set in place are never in favor of gender non-conforming individuals. Um, almost every form you fill out doesn't have the like enough pronoun options to be appropriate or just makes you pick sex, male or female, uh, doesn't clarify about legal gender versus gender assigned at birth, doesn't clarify for like intersex people or non-binary people or any of that. Um, I'm looking at doing summer research and I had to proactively figure out that they were gonna make me live on campus. Remember that most places on campus don't have all gender restrooms. Send a message to everyone that was in charge of this program saying, hey, can you please get me all gender restrooms somewhere on campus, please. Um, and I've heard back messages of support from about a half a dozen people, and I still don't know where I'm going to be living on campus over this summer, just because the, the systems are so slow and, and it just wasn't built for, to accommodate trans people. So yeah, my, my reception has been good immediately socially, but it's a challenge structurally. Um, if you were to give advice or to pass on knowledge to people um, of any community, whether it is about pronouns or how to support someone around them who has just come out, what kind of like, what advice would you pass forward to them? When you're not a part of a marginalized community, it can be really hard to have context. What does this mean? What, what is the connection between different things? 
And there's a balance that you people just have to strike in any controversial topic between uh, educating themselves and uh, imparting ideas onto someone else. So for example, like sometimes people will tell me what they think it means to be trans and that's okay. Uh, but if you're cisgender and you're, you're not transgender and you want to learn more, it's both on you to sort of listen to what I'm telling you, to listen to what me, a trans person, will say uh, about my representation, about my identity, about my experience with the community um, and other sources. And if I'm asking for support, if I'm a trans person or if uh, you at home have a trans friend and you don't know how to support them, you've got to listen. And, and if you don't know, if you don't have very much of that context, then do your best to get that context somehow. I mean, listening to trans people tell their stories and, and listening just to the way that trans people refer to each other, what pronouns people will choose to use, um, and anybody can do this in your friend groups, just listen to what, how people introduce themselves. What name do they prefer? Is it a nickname? How often do people actually use that nickname? Um, when a trans person says nickname, it's bad to not use it. It's, it's actively harmful to instead refer to them as any other name. And that is colloquially not something that people pay any attention to. Um, Pronouns is a big one. People are curious about like, well, how am I supposed to know what pronouns to use for someone? Just listen. I mean, pay attention. Sometimes people have pronoun pins on their stuff. Know what a trans flag looks like. If you see it on someone's backpack, then maybe don't immediately assume that they are the gender that they might appear to be. Uh, and probably the best uh, piece of advice that I can give is if you don't know someone's preferred pronouns, you can just use a they, them for them if you have to. Um, probably your best bet is going to be say, okay, I saw them uh, walking into that uh, store. They, they looked like they were having a good time. Um, in this situation, maybe this person is uncomfortable with using a they, them pronoun, but if someone is uncomfortable with a they, them, um, Ideally, they would let you know in some way, or you could pick up on it in their facial expressions or the way they interact with you. And um, I mean, a lot of people are cool with a with a they them pronoun. So it's uh, it's very cultural. It's very regional, even. Um, but uh, that's a good laid back sort of stopping point because I remember my my mom being in the grocery store and saying is that a boy or a girl what are you and like that's weird <laughs> that's awkward for everyone so um, as long as you're not doing that then you should be okay so I know we touched on this uh, a little bit earlier but uh, kind of going off of it what type of difficulties and adversities have you had to face in the education system and more specifically the collegiate system as a whole Sure. Um, I'm lucky enough to be very type A. I volunteer for things. I, I go out of my way in order to, to sort of make things, make ends meet. Um, so I haven't run into as many problems as I think my peers have. But for example, my freshman year of college, uh, just before I went to campus, 
um, that summer before, I was really terrified of going off to college because I had, I figured out I was transgender on April 14th, 2018. I woke up and I was like, I'm trans. Um, but I didn't tell anyone for at least six months. Um, I did not say a word. I journaled about it. And even then I didn't use the word transgender because I was so scared of it. Um, very private kind of a thing at the time. So I was scared out of my skull, first of all, that I was going to be put into a dorm where I was going to have to like go to the boys' bathroom. And then like, even after I came out, like the boys' bathroom is the only one on your floor and it's weird to go to a different floor. And I would feel so weird going into a women's bathroom. Oh my God. So uh, I really didn't want to worry about that at all. So I, the very first time I ever told anyone I was transgender was in an email to the res life like coordinator saying, hey, I'm trans, I really want to live somewhere that's not going to be horrible and oppressive. And there is one first year dorm that has all gender restrooms at my school. And they put me in that, that uh, dorm. And I am grateful every day of my life that I made that decision because I had to out myself, but man, it was worth it. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even a full, cause I, I came out halfway through my second semester in college. So like I spent a whole semester and a half in a situation where theoretically I would have been okay. Uh, I would have set off any alarms, um, but I would have been uncomfortable. And um, I think that the conversation about all gender restrooms is especially important in places like schools or, or, or especially like boarding schools or I don't know, the military, places where you, you conglomerate a bunch of people together um, and you're in this communal living situation and expected for you to be able to, to do this group bathroom thing to cut costs, completely and totally disregarding the people who are, do not fall on the same gender spectrum as, as the majority of people. Um, we're a minority, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to make everything this way, but everywhere should at least have access to an all gender restroom. Um, I've been lucky enough that when I fly a lot of the time, I'll be able to track down like a family restroom, like usually there's one or two in any given terminal, which is not a lot, but it's enough to get by. Um, but just from pure say if I'm wearing makeup and if I don't use my very deep voice, then I will go into a women's restroom out of just out of necessity every so often. Um, so campuses, especially there, it's very chill. Mine is pretty liberal. So like, I don't have to worry too much, but you go to any kind of a campus, maybe a, a, a like a Google campus or a campus of a company and you ask for the same kind of thing when you're in these 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 communal situations where everyone's a part of this big team that's a part of the whole it really depends on the administration how how well we're going to be treated um so probably some schools have it rough if you're a transgender in in certain schools like you're you're gonna have a really bad time um so you win some you lose some um Going off of 
um, like gender inclusive bathrooms at schools and stuff and like liberal campuses um, and just kind of like north and south. How do you think that people can educate themselves about the LGBTQ community, specifically the trans community? Do you think that these should be topics of conversations taught in the education system? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, If you can get I was lucky enough to have a great health teacher. Shout out Mrs. Johnson. Uh, she would have lovely guest speakers in of all kinds of different um, backgrounds. So we had um, a variety of, of voices, which I think is the right way to do it. Um, I mean, for heaven's sake, nobody tells you how gay sex works. No, sex ed is a joke, but if you are a part of the LGBT community, it's completely useless. They, they almost never cover any details that are of use. You got to do your own homework. So um, I feel like in places where sex ed is is already controversial, that might probably won't go through. Um, but in places where where the academia and their research is actually paying off and it shows, wow, sex ed reduces teenage pregnancy. Um, In places like that, you might be able to show that uh, people who are LGBT have a significantly better life when they can get proper education about their lifestyle. Um, So health class is one place for it. Um, That was my introduction. That was straight up the first time that anyone ever legitimately brought up the idea that maybe people are not what they are at birth. Um, So that's one of the most glaring opportunities for that kind of a thing. But um, honestly, the best way to learn about the trans community is to have trans people around and to learn from them. So if you're in a school district and like I'm, I kind of want to be a teacher. I think that would be fun. I I would love to be like a high school teacher someday. Um, if I'm a high school math teacher and I happen to be transgender, I'm probably going to teach, happen to just by being there, accidentally teach all of my students a ton about the trans experience just by being alive and in front of them. So uh, I feel like the topmost priority isn't necessarily like sex ed, how do your body parts work in all of these different edge cases. Um, the top priority should just be to get people in the room who can speak about it or um, have talks. I remember there being assemblies and in my high school and and uh, communal sort of events where people would all come together and then we'd all learn about mental health together. Um, you could easily do something like that, just a quick afternoon assembly performance, something by a trans person or or even like a drag performance that that isn't too hardcore and and inappropriate for kids, but like you can show a, an art form that you people can be urged by. Um, I don't know. Having these conversations in the first place is is definitely the best way to get the education. And until trans people are not like thoroughly repressed, <laughs> then you're not going to have enough people to expect a trans teacher in every high school. But considering how the percentages are working out and considering how uh, everybody's, every generation is getting gayer and gayer, then I think that it's not unreasonable to say that 
any pretty much any high school in 50 years should have at least one member of staff or faculty or a teacher or somebody who isn't uh, on the gender binary. It's a lot more common than you might think, but we just don't see it because it's not uh, it's it's not uh, as emphasized. Have you had any problems seeking medical care as a trans woman? Have you faced any discrimination in the medical field? I have not. I was lucky enough. There is a lovely medical facility, a, a doctor's office in the area, uh, Rochester, New York. If you're gay, trans, you gotta go to Trillium Health. Um, I know that Trillium is a name that like exists like a lot of the Trillium uh, insurance like all over the place, but specifically the doctor's office that is a Trillium Health doctor's office in Rochester, New York is amazing, really extraordinary. Um, apparently that doctor's office was one of the first, if not the first HIV treatment facilities in the world, I mean, like in the US at the very least. Um, so they've already been just on the the cutting edge of uh, gay uh, and lesbian like advocacy and awareness. And, and when the AIDS epidemic was uh, raging, then it was people like those that work at Trillium Health that were actually helping. Um, so I was very lucky that this this local community, this local resource had what I needed. So I've been able to get trans healthcare from um, like a doctor there that, that specializes. I'm not sure if she's a general practitioner, but um, she's very good at what she does. She, she'll help out. She, she helped me out with, I had strep throat uh, and she looks at my blood work sometimes, but she has, uh, prescribed me hormones and I've been on hormones for about two years now by her guidance. Um, and it's in New York state at the very least, it's a sort of like informed consent kind of a thing. So I had to go in for God, like five or six dedicated informational sessions where they just teach you all about what the side effects are going to be. What is going to happen to you when you take uh, testosterone blockers and uh, estrogen what happens to you? Um, and I didn't have to take any tests or anything like that, but like, I, I really learned a lot from interacting with these, these educators. Um, after I had the information that I needed, I could say, yes, please sign me up. Uh, that's exactly what I've always wanted. <laughs> uh, and now I don't have acne anymore. So it's <laughs> not, not too bad of a situation. Um, yeah, I couldn't recommend uh, them highly enough. Uh, I know that healthcare is, is one area that is particularly hotly debated nowadays, um, talking about trans healthcare. The only clarification that I think is important in this conversation is that people are not planning on giving, I don't think anywhere there is any legislation for giving minors the kind of hormones that I'm taking as an adult. The kind of hormones that I'm taking represses testosterone, gets rid of the quote unquote male hormone and gives me the estrogen needed for me to grow breasts and have softer skin and all this really good stuff. Um, but the stuff that they give to my is uh, puberty blockers. It's a kind of medication that 
delays you receiving puberty until you know what kind of puberty you want to get. Believe me, if I had the choice, <laughs> I would not have gone through a male puberty. That is awful stuff. I would not wish that on my worst enemy, okay? Um, and female puberty, not exactly a walk in the park either, but in my opinion, so much better, so much better. So uh, I don't know, it's, uh, it's an area of, of great misunderstanding, but I think that people being denied this kind of healthcare, like kids being denied, who know that they are trans being denied this sort of healthcare, um, it's dangerous. It's, uh, it's repressive. I mean, like it's just delaying the inevitable for legitimately trans people, uh, as in, like they're gonna get hormones when they're old enough if they're really trans. Like if, if this is, if hormones is what you want, nothing can get in your way. Nothing should be able to get in your way anyway. Um, so I don't know, I have a particularly strong sense of self-advocacy. So I, I feel very strongly like I, I need these things, but I always forget that there are meek trans people. There's trans people that are like closeted and, and scared and rightfully so but um when you intimidate them uh, being closeted it, it it just causes more problems than it solves so all of that being said we just want to give you a chance to tell us anything you want to share with us we will stop asking questions now and you you can have the floor tell us whatever you want intersectionalism is one of the most important things that anyone should pay attention to and intersectional voices are the ones that it's not like people's voices are more important than other people's voices but um i do identify as disabled um i have a history of post-traumatic stress disorder um and sometimes it's very helpful just to listen and i love to listen to my friends who are on the intersection or on the cusp of a bunch of different marginalized communities. Those are such valuable contributions to our world. Um, they're shining diamonds, just absolutely polished beyond belief. Um, and yeah, I, I appreciate you indulging me because I, uh, I enjoy sharing and, and I just want people like me to be heard. I think that's exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast because people deserve to have their voices heard and they deserve to get to speak up about the things they care about, regardless of what other people think. Thank you, Evelyn, for being brave enough to share your story with us. We'll see you next time on Souls Tell Stories.